Uh, the first one is Genesis 1.31. First one is Genesis 1.31. And the second one is Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12. As you turn, um, especially if you're new with us, my name is Drew Winters and I'm the youth pastor here. No, I'm not the pastor. That is uh, Pastor John Wood. And if you're wondering why I'm up here and he is not, um, that is because um, our pastor, and I love this about him, um, he takes uh, usually about the month of May off, maybe a little bit longer, uh, and he goes down to the beach and he spends time with his family. And, uh, and I love that. He goes and he recharges. Uh, he builds memories with his wife and with his children. Uh, so that way when he comes back, he's ready to go and minister to us all year. And I love that about our pastor. So if you're visiting with us and you were expecting Pastor John, I do apologize. Um, and, uh, but he will be back in a couple of weeks, and, uh, and, and we just celebrate with him during this time. So, All right, uh, the first one, let's, let's read it together, is uh, Genesis 131, and, and this is uh, toward the end of God creating uh, everything. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the, the birds and the seas and the rivers and the streams and everything else, and this is what he said about his creation. In Genesis 131, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So at the end of this creation time, of this time of really just forming what we know and what we walk on today, um, he saw that it was very good, that it was flawless, uh, that it was perfect, um, that there could not be found any fault in it. But then we flip to Romans 5.12, and we see this scripture that says this. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and that's what we're going to focus on, death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Um, I'm prepared today. Um, I spent a lot of time over my notes and really just seeking God. Um, but I am, I am uh, speaking on a subject this morning that is very heavy for me. Um, I don't know why, but every time I think about it and every time I pray about it and I go to God and, God, what would you have me share? And I begin to write the notes. Um, I just, there are times I just weep, uh, even during worship today. I mean, just a, the heaviness and the responsibility that I feel today to try to communicate clearly something that is such an important subject. Um, man, it's, it, it, it over, it's overwhelming, not in a bad way and not because I'm unprepared. Uh, it's not that at all. I just feel the heaviness of it. Um, I want to make sure I communicate this because today I'm going, to be, I'm going to be speaking on suffering and why it's allowed and, and, and why it happens. And, and the reason why is because I, I, I've never been in a season in my life, and I've talked to Kim about this, and the last two to three months, um, I have just seen people and more specifically, God's people just go through a season of suffering and loss. Um, I probably have, I mean, it just seems like we just hear report after report, Kim and I do, of just cancer and strokes and divorce and hurting and loss and, and uh, loss of loved ones. And I probably have heard more stories in these last two months, two to three months, than I probably have in the last two to three years combined. And, um, and, and Kim and I have just been blown away at just how people and God's people are just hurting right now. And, um, and so I, I, as I began to put this message together, I, I tremble and, 
And normally, just because it's more my personality, I love to come up here with a little bit of energy and, and uh, maybe a couple of jokes here or there or whatever. That's, that's kind of more my style. And, and as I wrote this out and I felt the weightiness of it, I just I don't have those today. Um, because I really feel like maybe there are people here going through some form of suffering or loss or pain, or maybe you know someone, maybe you have, maybe you're walking through this season, or maybe you're walking with someone through a season. And I'm sure the question now is coming up is, well, why did God allow this? Why is this happening to me or to this person? And why has this come upon me? And I don't know. Those are heavy and tough questions. And all I know to, to do is to go back to these two scriptures and that after, after God created everything, He created by His own hands the things that we interact with today. And when He was done, He said, what I've created is good. But through the decisions of one man and one lady, sin entered the world and now through that, we see death. It may not be physical death yet, but we see death all around us. We see the death of dreams and the death of hopes, the death of health. We see those things and we're walking with people through these things and it's easy to ask, answer why. The thing that we have to go back to, and I know we've kind of all done this, but This water bottle is halfway with water in it. And I know that there's been numerous studies that talk about whether people see this as half empty or half full and what that says about their attitude and about their personality. And I just felt like maybe there's people today that through the circumstances that you're going through or that you know someone that's going through, it's easy to look at this circumstance and look at God as half empty and say, why did he allow this? I guess I'm going to give up and shake our fist at God. Or maybe we could look at it as half full to know that even in our circumstances and in our suffering, that God offers us two things. He offers us perspective and he offers us comfort. And as I prayed about today and just the weightiness and the heaviness of this message, I, I felt God Give me two words for the people and for y'all today. And that is this message about suffering is designed to bring about perspective, and that you would leave here seeing God's plan and purpose, even through tough times, and that you would leave here with a measure of comfort. You would leave here comforted knowing that you can take another step and that you can go another day because there is comfort. Had someone asked me this morning, they said, man, Drew, you ready to go to beach camp and hang out at the beach? I'm like, I'm ready, but I, I got to get through today first. <laughs> um, and so if you would bear with me, um, I felt God really tell me this morning that he's restrained me in a lot of ways from preaching and communicating maybe the ways that I normally would. And the reason is because he wants the power of the Holy Spirit to take, to take center stage today. And uh, so I just pray that you would leave comforted. 
I don't pretend to know every one of your circumstances that you've walked through, but I know a God who does. Let me pray. We'll get started. Father God, I, I just ask today that the Holy Spirit would, who you said yourself was the comforter and would guide into all truth, I pray that you would descend today. I've already felt your presence during worship, and I pray that people in here would feel your presence during my message, that they would leave today not talking about my words, not talking about how much they um, maybe got out of it, but, they, but more importantly, that they would talk today about how they just sensed your nearness. And I just sense your compassion for people today of how you see what they're going through and that they're not alone. In your name, amen. Suffering reveals to us that we live in a fallen world. Suffering reveals to us that we live in a fallen world. Ephesians 6.12 says this, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a current that's unseen that we fight against every single day that shows us that we live in a fallen world. I'm sure if you go to the beach, just like a lot of us are about to go to this week, it's amazing how you could walk out into the ocean and you could stand right in front of your condo out in the ocean and you didn't do anything, you didn't move anywhere, you didn't tell your body to go anywhere. But in about two to three minutes, you're gonna look up and you're gonna be about 50 to 100 feet away from where you were originally standing. And we know that's true because we recognize that there's an unseen current in the ocean that takes us places. And that if we don't fight against that current, if we don't walk and push up against it, that it's gonna take us to places that we never even intended. In this life, we have to realize that there's unforeseen forces and currents that we have to push against every single day. And these unforeseen forces and currents live to remind us that we live in a fallen world. See, when we talk about sufferings and bad things that happen in our life, a lot of them are just due to the fact that sin entered the world. And once sin entered the world, it spread like a virus and it destroyed everything that it touches. And we can't help but see on the news every single day some sort of remnant of what sin has done to the minds of people, has done to their hearts and has done to their lives. And then we see things that happen and it's just a reminder over and over and over again that there are forces here in this world that serve to remind us that this is a fallen world. And I know that we live in a consumeristic culture that, that teaches us that we can maybe buy our way to happiness and that maybe we can just mask our feelings and we can, we can mask what's really going on that if we buy this or drink this or go here or be with this person or whatever, that we can mask what's going on. But isn't it funny how we always come back down to reality at some point? Now, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that there isn't good things in this world. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be morbid. There are definitely things that I enjoy. I enjoy going on a date with my wife. I enjoy traveling with my wife. I enjoy going to see a good basketball game, good football game. Those things I enjoy, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't enjoy those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we use those things as a mask because we don't want to admit the truth that we live in a fallen world that's tough and scary and hard, and throws us curves that we didn't plan on, that's where we get into trouble a little bit. 
And maybe you're here today and maybe you're really disappointed with how life has turned out. Maybe you walked in today and maybe you don't want to admit it or not, but you just want to shake your fist at God and say, you did this. No, he didn't do it. He offers perspective today that if we'll allow ourselves, we, we live in a fallen world. We live with a current that constantly pushes against us. But what he does is he offers us comfort in that. I've offered you perspective, but here's the comfort I want to offer. It's John 16, This is Jesus Christ himself. He said this to his disciples. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but fear not. I've overcome the world. Now, let me get this straight. This was Jesus Christ. This was God incarnate. He had all the power in his body to do whatever he wanted to do. And you would have, think, you would have thought that the most safest place was to be near him and by him. But the thing I love about Christ is he's not afraid to tell the truth. And he looked at his disciples. He goes, you're going to have trouble in this world. There's going to be things that's not going to go your way. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be tears. But the promise that he offers is, but fear not, I've overcome everything that you've gone through, and I'll be your peace. So if you're here today, you're really frustrated. Know this, is that we live in a fallen world, and God offers us a solution of himself. Suffering reminds us that we have a real enemy. Suffering reminds us that we have a real enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. I know some of you don't know me very well, but I'm not one of those people that looks for a devil behind every door. I'm not. I'm an optimist, and I fully believe that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So because of that, I don't, I don't fear the enemy. But there is a reality that there is a real enemy in this life who seeks to destroy and to devour us. And isn't it funny how oftentimes he may not come directly right at us, but he's that one that when we really go through times and we have weakness, it's amazing how he comes right, that's when he wants to show up right behind it and sow seeds of frustration and doubt and discord and mistrust that's what he does. And know this, that if, if that's going on in your life, you need to understand that the very same thing that you're going through, Jesus Christ went through. Because if you look at the scriptures, if you look at the gospels, the one time that Satan showed up to Jesus Christ is when he was being tempted and tried for 40 days out in the wilderness. And the scriptures teach us that when Jesus Christ was, uh, he was hungry, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. And in the middle of that storm, isn't that funny how all of a sudden Satan, at that right moment, comes up and says, hey, you look hungry. You see these rocks? You have the power to turn them into bread. Why don't you do it right now? And in Christ's moment of weakness, that's when he came and showed up. And Christ said, no, man's not going to live on bread alone. Then he took him out and he showed him all the things, all these beautiful temples and empires and everything else. And he said, if you'll just bow down, I'll, I'll give them to you. And in Christ's moment of weakness, where he could have really said, you know, no, I'm, I'm not going to live. I'm not going to suffer here on this earth. 
I'm going to live for myself. That's when Satan came in and Christ at that point said, no, I can't do that. Then he took him up on top of a, of a temple and said, all you got to do is just jump off because angels will catch you and carry you. And that was another moment of weakness because what he was testing was, you know, if you're the son of God and this is, and this is what your purpose is to die, then you go ahead and do it. And at Christ's moment of weakness, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to test it. It's not my time yet. And so for us, isn't it amazing how at times it's not the, it's not the thing, the circumstance that hits us that's so hard. It's the seeds of doubt that are planted in us that really are the hardest to deal with because they form ripple effects that we deal with our entire life at times if we let it. For some of us, maybe it wasn't just the divorce, but there were seeds that were planted inside of you in that divorce that, that whispered to you that because of it, you aren't worthy of love. Because you couldn't keep mommy and daddy together, that there's something wrong with you. It wasn't just the diagnosis of cancer. It was a seed that was planted that God doesn't care. It wasn't just the daddy issues growing up. It was the seed that was planted that you're of little worth. It wasn't just the job loss. It was the seed that was planted that now tells you not to trust anything. Here's the funny thing about seeds is that if left unchecked, they'll grow as big and as large and as wide as you allow it to unless you deal with it. And we have to be understanding. Again, I'm not looking for a demon behind every door. I'm not trying to scare you, but we have to understand that when we talk about suffering, that there is always an enemy at your door that is looking to plant seeds because he wants this, whatever this thing is, to last the rest of your life. There are some things people are going through in here that I, I make no mistake about it. I understand your life will never be the same. But the enemy's design is that your life will be ruined for the rest of your life. Giving you the perspective, here's the comfort in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins, talking about Christ and his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live in righteousness, because by his wounds we have been healed. I don't know when your healing's coming. For some, it may be instantaneously, maybe today. For some, what you're going through, the healing may take time. But God gave me this just visual as I was putting this together, just as if some of you would maybe go into surgery and, and a physician would come in and maybe that surgery took a long time and there was a long time of recovery. Don't doubt that Jesus Christ can be your healer just because it's taken time. You may look at the circumstances of your life right now and say, there's, there's no way. Nothing good can ever come out of this. Because of his stripes, we have been healed. It's not a matter of if. It's now a matter of when. Suffering shows us that this world is not our home. Suffering shows us that this world is not our home. Hebrews 13, 14 says this. It says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. I'm sure I've shared this, but for those who maybe don't know, maybe you're new with us, I'm in the process of building a home. 
going to move in it very soon. And um, but right now I'm living with my mom, and uh, it's been good. Don't get me wrong, but I'm fully aware of the fact that when it comes to my mom's home, I'm just passing through because there is another home that is being built for me. That home that I've lived in for the past six or seven months, it's been good, but it's not my permanent residence. I wasn't meant to set down roots there permanently because there's being a home built for me that is more beautiful than anything I could have dreamed up for myself. That's the same with us, is that when we suffer, when we go through things, we're reminded of the fact that um, this world's not our home. As a little boy, I grew up and I grew up watching, I bet you I probably watched sermons, you name it, from TBN and listen to sermons and everything else. And one of the things I struggled with as a little boy is I would always see these older people who have lived their lives and they would always talk about how they're ready to go home. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I'm ready to go home. And as a little boy, that used to frustrate me because I, they, in my mind, I'm like, y'all have lived your life. You, you're old. You, you've lived your life. And I haven't. I've got dreams and hopes and things I want to accomplish, things I want to do, thing, places I want to see. I want to grow up and live these dreams with God's help and everything else. And, you know, I'm sorry, you're ready to go home, but I'm not ready yet. <laughs> I got things I want to do. And I couldn't understand their perspective. But while I'm not saying I'm old, I'm kind of getting toward middle age. I'm 33. And I find myself, I've still got hopes and dreams I do. But I find myself, the more I go through, the more I realize that the circumstances of my life work themselves out to where as each trial and suffering comes through, it kind of loosens my grip just that much more on this earth. Am I ready to go home yet? No. I want to grow up. Next month, I celebrate nine months of marriage with my wife. I want to celebrate another 50 years. 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 <laughs> Honey, it only seems like nine months because we're still newly wedding. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to celebrate another 50 months and years <laughs> with my wife. I want to see my kids grow up. I'm going to see them have kids. I want to see them fulfill their dreams. I want to see what God has unfolded for me in ministry and in life. If God even allows, I would love to even have a, maybe a condo in Panama City one day that Kim and I can go to whenever we want. I would even love to even have a Jeep Wrangler one day. That's my dream car. It is. Take the top off and let's just go riding. I don't know why, it just is. And I've still got dreams, I do. Those are things I want to accomplish. Those are things with God's help I would love to have in my life. But I still find myself the more and more in this life that I go through, it's just like the, the ties just get a little bit looser. Am I saying that you shouldn't have dreams or hopes? No, I'm not saying that. But there comes a time when you lose friends, you lose loved ones, you see disappointment happen, you cry enough tears, life doesn't work out how you thought it was going to work out that you realize, no, 
This place isn't my home. I can, I can put down temporary roots, but I'm just passing through. And once you begin to have those conversations and make that reality with yourself, a couple things happens is that the first thing you realize, wait a minute, there's another place that I'm living for. And then the other thing you realize is maybe the legacy I leave on this earth matters. Because if I can't stay, what am I giving to others? And here's the comfort that God gives us. In John 14, 3, Christ said this, he goes, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So where I am, you may also be. If you're here today, and you're suffering, I'm not, I'm not, please don't take me out of context. I'm not saying stop living for this life. I'm not saying that. But know this, you're just passing through. And if you find yourself with the ties of this world slowly just becoming a little less tight, that's natural. It's okay. Because there's a comfort that God gives us that even though we may not have paradise here on this earth, that there's a paradise that we are going to because he's preparing a place for us. Suffering matures us and purifies us if we let it. Suffering matures and purifies us if we let it. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. It says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance run its course so that, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Mature and complete, lacking nothing. And isn't that what we want? If we were to boil down the things that we really want in this life and of our God, don't we really want to be complete? Sure. Don't we want to lack nothing? Sure. Then we've got to go back to this verse that, well, no, God does not, it's not God, God's design for us to suffer, but the beautiful part about God is that he takes trials and temptations, and he kind of has this way of you still using it for good, and he matures us from it. It's amazing how he does that. I began to do some research on uh, how gold is made and how, more specifically, how it's purified. And there's a couple things that have to happen for you to have a piece of gold made into a ring or earring or whatever, gold bar. Because we see the end product, but there's a process that has to be made, especially toward the end, to purify it. The first thing that has to happen is that the gold has to be heated up to incredible temperatures. It's liquefied. After that, some other chemical or element is introduced, and it's usually borax or other, or what's called soda ash. And once that's introduced, it separates the impurities from the precious metals. At that point, the gold is purified. But then it's funny because once that gold is purified, it's separated, that kind of pure gold will not stand on its own. So there has to be some sort of element that's introduced, whether it's nickel, iron, maybe silver, to make it sturdy so it can be used because it's not practical. Isn't that kind of how God treats us? Is that the circumstances of our lives happen and we get tested. Our lives get heated up and things get introduced that separate impurities. And just at that point where we think well, we're not going to be able to stand, he introduces things in our lives that make us stronger than we could have ever been. And you may be saying, well, that's, that's great, Drew, but... Where does the Bible talk about 
God being a refiner like that. Malachi 3.3 says this, it says, talking about God, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, but he will purify and refine us like gold and silver. Psalms 66.10 said this, it says, for you have been tried, for you have tried us, O God, you have refined us as silver is refined. Maybe what, maybe what you're going through or what you know someone's going through is it's hard, it's tragic, and no one has... There's no scripture that says that God is up in heaven just laughing at you because he's trying to do some cosmic morbid game. But there's a promise that if you'll allow it and if you'll let it, he'll use even this for his glory. And he'll use even this to fortify you and make you mature and complete. I saw this happen in my life last week. I had the opportunity to uh, preach in my uh, or speak, preach, whatever it's called, or at my grandmother's funeral. And it was interesting because um, it was the one time that a lot of my mother's side of the family was all together. Um, I've got a wonderful side of, of the family on my mother's side, but we just don't see each other often. And especially when I moved away to, to marry Kim, I saw them even less. And so I was amazed that once we all got together and I spoke, and you know, I'm not saying I'm great, but I spoke and felt confident doing, doing it and felt like I gave my grandmother the honor she was due for her life that was well-lived. The people, the family members that came up to me and just hugged me and texted me afterwards and everything else, and the common theme of what they told me was, Drew, all we remember you is kind of as a little boy. And you've grown up and you're not the same. There's a maturity about you. You've got your own family and you're preaching now and wow. And all I could do is when I received those compliments was say thank you very much because there's this gap that they haven't seen and they haven't walked with me with where God has purified me. Am I perfect? Mm -mm. No, no, no. But there's been seasons in my life that he's walked me through, that he has tested me with, that have been tough and hard. And every time he pulls out an impurity, he fortifies it with his goodness. And I'm able to walk in front of my family, not perfect, but changed. Who in here has, who in here has the, perspective of being able to look back and see how far you've come and to see how far God has taken you. How many people would raise their hand and say, ah, I never thought I'd be here doing this. I never thought I'd get over that fill in the blank. Hands raised all over here. And could it be that if God's walked you through that, that he'll walk you through this? Here's the comfort. Romans 8.28 says God works all things, not some things, not sometimes, not a little bit, all things to the good for those who will love him and are called to his good purpose. Does that mean that things will be the same? No. It just means that he'll take even that. And at some point in your life, I don't know when, you'll look back and say he turned good for this. Ben, if you'd come up, please. The last one. 
Suffering points to our need for a Savior. Suffering points to our need for a Savior. Hebrews 4.15 says this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Jesus Christ has walked through every single circumstance or situation that we could ever think of. The major goal when we suffer is that it points to our need for a Savior. It points to our need that we cannot be self-sufficient. It points to our lack. It points to the fact that there are times that we just can't do it on our own. It points to a truth that we need somebody greater and stronger than who we are. Someone who understands us without judging or looking down. Someone who not only empathizes and sympathizes, but who loves and cares and offers to help. We are not alone here on this earth because Jesus Christ died to pave a way for us to have a relationship that is meaningful. What suffering does is it highlights our need to not be alone. Has anyone been to the point that if, or maybe you're at the point today that if God doesn't come through, you don't know how you're going to make it? You realize that it's in those times that we realize that Jesus Christ was available for us because that's when we realize his strength. What the sufferings in this world do, if we'll allow it, is it highlights everything good that's about our God. How will we ever know his joy if we don't experience sorrow? Psalms 35 says this, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. How will we ever know what true beauty is without knowing despair? Isaiah 61.3, our God gives beauty for ashes. How will we ever know true strength without experiencing fear? 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but has given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And how can we ever know what true rest is unless we've been tired? Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Aren't you tired of trying to do this by yourself? Suffering was never God's original plan. Because when he was done creating, he wiped his hands and said, it's good. But sin has brought death. And we experience that in little and big doses every single day. But he offers us himself. Instead of, resting, instead of resisting God and blaming him, why not rely on him for the strength that he offers you? Because there's nothing worse than not walking in the strength that is readily available to you. My son Davis, um, I saw this so powerfully for him. And as I was preparing this, God reminded me of this story. It was, we're trying to teach him how to swim. Uh, he's four years old, and a couple years back, we made the disastrous mistake of putting him in one of those, like, 
infant swim schools where they'll train you, they'll train you how to tread water at least. And Maddie took well to it, Davis didn't. It was really a negative experience for him because he, he, he doesn't like water now. I mean, he sort of gets around it. And a couple weeks ago, I was at my mother-in-law's house and they've got a pool. And uh, Davis was real nervous. Um, you know, where's my float? Where can I do this or whatever? And finally, at one point, there's this section in their pool that uh, Davis was actually, um, he's tall enough that he can stand in. It'll go about right up here to his neck. He can stand in it. And all I wanted to do was just to teach him to get, just get comfortable. I'm not going to make you swim. I'm not going to do any crazy trust falls in the water or whatever. I just, I just want you to show that, I don't, that you can be in the water. You can stand up in it. And remember, I took him out. And, it was, and I just had him, and I'm in that little shallow section, and I thought he was going to lose his mind screaming, Daddy, don't drop me. Daddy, don't let me go. Daddy, don't force me to do this. Don't force me to swim. And I'm trying to tell him, Davis, you can stand up in this water. <laughs> Daddy, don't. And he's curled up in a ball, and he's holding on to me. And I, I literally had to, like, peel him off of me and take his little legs and force them down. And he just wailed because he thought I was about to let him go. And he thought I was, I was about to make him do something that was really going to scare him. And I took those legs and I finally put him down at the bottom of the floor. And he had that moment where he realized, oh, wait a minute. I'm screaming and wailing and scared. But what's, what was available to me all along, I'm realizing what I've had, is the fact that I can stand up in this water and I can play. And after that, those tears of fear and sorrow turned into about an hour and a half of giggling, laughing, throwing a football, shooting water guns at daddy. And he forgot about that. He forgot about his fear. Some of us today, you're walking through things or you're seeing people walk through things and you want to rely on God, but it's scary and it's afraid. It's fearful. And, you're, and God is trying to teach you the lesson that you can rely on Him, that you can stand up in the swimming pool of life based on what He's already given you and you're just wailing and kicking and screaming. I'm not denying the emotions that you're feeling. I'm not. But here's a promise. Here's a, the last comfort I want to give to you today. It's found in Romans 8, 18. The Apostle Paul says this. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever it is that you're going through, and I don't pretend to know. There's a God today who wants to offer you perspective and comfort. Does that mean that you're instantly going to walk out of here today and that thing that you're facing is instantly going to go away?
We define comfort and being comforted as the absence of no problems. God defines comfort as walking with you through it all because he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. I don't know how to end today. I don't know how to leave today. Here's what I do know, is that before I got up here and preached this word, and we worship corporately together, there was such a tangible sense of God's presence. And that will comfort you more than my words. So I'd like, and I've, this is probably a shorter message than I normally speak, but I think that's a good thing because I'm gonna give us a chance just to be ministered to. I'm gonna let Ben play. I just ask that you would just talk to your God. You may need to have someone pray with you and this front is open for that. You may need to cry and that's okay. You may need to lift your hands and worship and that's okay too. You may need just to allow God's presence just to walk or wash over you and you'll be reminded. But I'm just gonna take a couple of minutes and just allow the truth of God's word to give you perspective and offer you comfort. Would you stand please? All I need is you, Lord. You.